0: Hello and welcome to The Coaching Podcast, coaching for success in sport and business. Your host is Emma Doyle, the energy and high performance under pressure coach who is a world leader in unleashing human potential. Buckle up for this high octane session. Let them have it coach
1: everybody and welcome to the coaching podcast i have the pleasure today of interviewing chris lazuri he's a business development coach and the owner of cml consulting and coaching so straight off the bat chris welcome to the show
2: thank you very much for having me i've always enjoyed our conversations and glad that we finally get the chance to talk on the podcast after listening to so many of those 150 episodes
1: Thank you so much. And, you know, look, I, I love that your mantra is authentic, curious and empathetic. Oh, already those three key words are singing to my heart. And I know that your mission is to create relationships not just transactions that will drive your growth. So Chris is an expert facilitator, coach, consultant, skilled at growing revenues through consultative selling. Uh, and he's in the professional service industry and he's just gone out on his own. And I just can't wait to watch you jump into your full potential and maximize each opportunity. In your words, I just I took those from your beautiful brand new website, uh, which by the time this episode comes out, it won't be brand new. It'll be Rocking and rolling, um, so Chris, with all these this fabulous background, we we kick it off always with the Australian spread of Vegemite. You either love it or you hate it or you've never tried it. What's your take on Vegemite?
2: Yes, you have to put me in the never tried it category. I've had Marmite once. Okay. My son was spending the night at a friend's house and they were having it for breakfast. And he's like, Dad, you got to try this, and he was not a fan. I thought it was. I thought it was fine. Not something I've gone out and tried again since then. So you obviously know it it wasn't a favorite, but, um, bit like spreading a uh, bullion base on a piece of toast when I had it that morning is how it seemed to me. But uh, so I guess you'd have to put me in the not a fan category.
1: <laughs> well, I look forward to you trying the real version. Cause we call Marmite the, you know, the poor man's Vegemite, but uh, you'll get there. Sure. Yeah. You'll get there one day. I'm sure. Uh, well, in, in which case let's kick it off with a coaching moment that didn't go well. And what was the lesson?
2: The person I was coaching that I kind of labeled uncoachable from the very beginning. And that is a big mistake on my part of being judgmental. And the issue that I was having with this gentleman that I was coaching was that he always seemed to have excuses for not doing the things that he said he wanted to hold himself accountable for. And he had a lot of, I don't think he thought he needed coaching. He was put into a program. um, So it was a, a bit against his will where um he thought he was good enough at what we were supposed to be talking about that he didn't need to improve anything and for me the mistake was on my part of giving up too easily that i should have found a common area that he realized he needed help with and, and and done that it was a matter of um personalities maybe didn't match but i need to know that that's a situation that as me, as the coach, I need to adapt to the person that I'm coaching. So that was very early in my coaching career. So I think it was a lesson well-learned that it gives me the ability to not allow excuses to get in the way of finding a better way to to reach somebody or coach them in a different way than maybe I would have without that experience.
1: And I think excuses as well, they're just uh, surface level structure for what's really going on underneath and you know, as you said, when we stay curious as coaches and drop our assumptions, <laughs> we're like, oh, God, i got to coach that person again. And they probably haven't done what they said they were going to do and can you believe that they're not motivated to do this? And all, all the things that potentially go even against your grain of what, you know, when you say you're going to do something, you do it, right? And, right, yeah, I, I love the fact that it's a daily practice, That's why I love the word practice as well. I love the fact that we, as coaches, have to practice curiosity and dropping judgment and not giving up too early. And I love my my other favorite thing about what you said, Chris, was finding a common ground. I think we need to do that globally right now. How do we find common ground when someone's here and someone's here? Just find something in common as a starting point. What are your thoughts on that?
2: Even if there's disagreement, there's got to be a way to have a civil conversation mm-hmm. when you're talking about the global uh, issues and, and those things, that if you can't find a um, you know some values that you both hold dear that you can can reach common ground on, then it, it makes it impossible to have a relationship, nor does it, it make it possible to reach any type of, of middle road when it comes to a decision. It's you're so entrenched in being right that you're not worried about what the, the solution should be or what... Um, could be done for the betterment of all
1: on that note I was listening to a fantastic uh like YouTube clip Ed mylette about this thing around problems as you know you just heard it come up in what you just said there around what we do is we fixate on the problem like ninety percent of the time we're fixating on one problem or one excuse going back to your story and instead of, you know, maybe the problem's 10% of what's happening and, and focusing our energy on 90% on, on the solution of what we can do or what's within our control to solve the problem. So I'll put that episode in the show notes because I really got a lot out of that uh, on my run this morning. <laughs> so, uh, you know, because it, there's, there's energy in emotion, isn't there? And, you know, where we choose to put that energy really is, is something that is within our conscious awareness once we raise our level of consciousness rather than just focusing on on the issues. So so on, on a brighter note, what about on the flip side, mate? Can you give us a coaching moment that went well and what was the lesson?
2: For me, the best coaching moments are when somebody comes to the realization that they thought of something in a way they wouldn't have otherwise. So a specific instance that comes to mind is somebody who was going through a career transition. And I was helping coach them through the interview process and what they were doing, things to anticipate, um, making a significant change after 10 or 11 years, at the same organization, it was time for them to, to be somewhere else. So having them say, you know, I would have never thought of it that way before our conversations before we were working together, I would have never thought that, but. The goal as a successful coach, in my opinion, is that we're getting our clients to grow and think outside of a way they would have traditionally. So are we allowing them to stay true to their values and influence their decision with their perspective without putting our perspective on them as coaches and being remain outside part of that process, but getting them to think about things they wouldn't have considered otherwise for that highest, you know, possible reach of their potential and, and the best possible outcome for the situation that you're coaching on?
1: All right, and how do you do that?
2: I mean, I think one way is to find out what their end goal is, to have that question of, hey, what is it that you value? How are you aligning with what you're trying to accomplish with that value? Why is it that you want to do that? What would be success? What would be the potential roadblocks to achieving that success to do that? What scares you about the opportunities to to look at something a different way? Um, Have you ever considered, just as a question for to get them to think of something from a different point of view mm. without, again, telling them what to do, because that's not the role of coach. We jump too often to giving advice, um, in a lot of cases, especially in an industry like accounting or professional services, where you're expected to be the technical expert, you want to jump to that technical knowledge that you have to answer somebody's questions versus helping them realize it. Tying the business development comes in the fact that to what you said before of asking the right questions, getting the person there on their own. It's not trying to push something upon them. It's a matter of staying curious and asking those right questions and figure out what they value and what would help them.
1: Yeah. I know that that came really clear in your marketing, you know, on your website about what you're really passionate about is how can you align somebody's values with their effort to achieve success. So I love that you've, You've, you've said what your marketing says on your website. <laughs> I think we call that a lived experience. Well, I call it a lived experience. When I interview somebody and I read about them online or I'm doing my research about what they believe, if it comes out organically in the conversation, I was like, oh, I mean, that's authenticity 101. And I know that sounds really obvious, but it's amazing, you know, when you hire a marketer, right, and they write the content or the copy for your website and then, and then you meet the person, you go, oh, that's that's, that's different to what they're, they're marketing themselves as. So what are your thoughts on that?
2: I think that's a huge part and why it's part of my monster, for that, the whole authenticity, curiosity, and empathy. I, uh, I feel like I come across that naturally from a standpoint of, you know, learn from my parents, the environment I was raised in, the trustworthiness, hopefully, the honesty that's there, that's, um, the ability is going to be there to be myself. And if I'm trying to be something else, then that comes across and it makes it harder too. I mean, the old Shakespeare quote of, you know, when we first try to deceive, what a, a tangled web we weave. So, from that standpoint, it's a lot easier to be yourself than be somebody else.
1: Mm. Yeah. It's a lot of hard work to be someone else, isn't it?
2: <laughs> yes.
1: All right. Uh, our next question is our sliding doors question.
2: Yeah, for me, I mean, from that point, it's just, you know, an innocuous moment in time that I realized something needs to change. So for me, it was probably four or five years ago, driving down the road and realized I was driving by my house at 2 30 in the afternoon, running from one office to another office that were three hours apart from meeting that was 7 30 in the morning in one place and 5 30 at night at the other place. Basically, driving by my house and waving to my family. Uh-huh. Got three kids, a wife, and now a couple dogs. But it was a matter of this isn't what I want to be doing. I'm burning myself out with this windshield time. And I realized at that point I had put roughly 55,000 miles on my car over the course of 18 months. So, you know, 700, 800 miles a week between multiple offices with multiple bosses. And what I realized at that point was I was burning myself out. I wasn't being as effective for any of those bosses as I could be maybe in a, in a different role. So I looked into recreating the role that I had, and that's where I got more into the coaching and training aspect and being on the road, less doing less direct business development myself. So that's really that sliding door moment for me that it was just you know, driving by on a Wednesday afternoon and realizing, why am I doing this? How am I gonna continue to sustain this um, and support that family that's over there that I'm not even getting to spend that time with and how can I do that?
1: Mm-hmm. So I'm curious to know, obviously you remember that day really, really clearly. Do you think that, do people need to hit rock bottom before they can make a change?
2: I think it can vary, and I think it varies by the person and in large part, probably to their aversion to risk. The more willing that somebody is to take a risk, probably the earlier they would make that jump, Conclusion: without coaching. Without that, they may be willing to try something new or different and have more of that. Somebody who's very risk-verse, which I am myself, it took more of that revelation of, hold on, there's, there's got to be something that changes. And hopefully it wasn't rock bottom. I mean, I stayed with the same organization for a, another six or seven years, but just continuously reinvented my role so that it was challenging and something different and involved more of the things that I did align with my values and and where I thought I could bring value to the organization Mm. and those types of things. So I don't think it has to take rock bottom. And I think if somebody does have coaching, it can even narrow that drop more that it doesn't have to be as steep a curve because they've got somebody to help them look at things maybe in a way they didn't, or um, to realize that, Hey, maybe the risk isn't what you think it is just by the simple question of, Hey, what's the worst that could happen if this doesn't go right? And you get the person thinking about. I it, was like, "Well, the worst that could happen is I find another job, or, or whatever the case is. It, it doesn't have to be as bad as that person has in their mind." Without talking to somebody else about it.
1: Yeah, and one thing that, and maybe this is a, a baby boomer parenting. You know, being the daughter of some some baby boomers myself, that I remember my dad saying, "Don't quit your job until you got another job." <laughs> think sometimes too many times we you know like I like what you said about you you reinvented your role within like that one particular company during that time so there are other ways out there and obviously you're singing to my philosophy in that people don't need to hit rock bottom for them to make a change they if you if you are experiencing a little bit of like, is there something more or am I on the right track? Get yourself a coach. Have a couple of sessions with a coach and explore that and identify that so that then you can make a, a change, whether it's significant, big, little, small, doesn't matter. Uh, but I really agree that that's an important step. And I think, you know, I have a coach for for good reason. <laughs> Keep me on track too because I definitely don't want to hit rock bottom. <laughs> All right. Our guiding question in one to a maximum of three words, what do you think makes a great coach?
2: I think you have spoiled it so early in our conversation when you mentioned the mantra that <laughs> I But and I'll keep it in, in tennis terms uh, of ace. So authenticity, curiosity, and empathy, I think make a fantastic coach. Um, those are three characteristics that have a lot of other parts to them, but i think those three words would be what i say make a successful coach is that authenticity, the curiosity and empathy.
1: i love that you that you've used a little acronym there ace. i'm never going to forget that. you've just you've just aced the answer even though i revealed it in your mantra doing my background check. all right. um can you explore each one now? what does it mean to you to be authentic?
2: So to me to be authentic is You stay true to yourself. As I said, what somebody sees and what they hear from you is the same way that you act. That they can, and I think the most important part of authenticity is the person knows what to expect. I'm not coming into the office place. I'm not coming into a coaching conversation. I'm not coming into a relationship. And you never know what I'm gonna be like. Hopefully you know that I've taken an approach that is true to myself. Again, that honesty, that trustworthiness, that I can become an an advisor is making that happen, that you understand that what you get on Monday is what you're going to get on Wednesday with maybe different energy levels or or things that that come in, but it's not going to be completely different. And you know what you're walking into. Yeah, curiosity goes back to to my childhood. Not only was my mom convinced I was going to be an attorney, she was what I was going to be referred to as a Philadelphia attorney, which was a term for somebody who was very into the minutiae. So it was a lot of asking why questions. And it was a lot of wanting to know why we were doing something, when we were doing something. I remember you know, my parents not being able to tell me until right before we were going on vacation that we were going on vacation because of the anxiety and the questions I would ask about, where are we going, what are we doing, who is this? When we lose some of that curiosity as we become adults. Uh, there's some great work out there by Chad Littlefield and others, but he's with We and Me and, and talks about um, stats behind the number of questions that change during the day and, and you just ask a far less percentage as adults because we either accept something as it is or we don't question it or we don't even question it in, in the right way sometimes that when we question things people get put on the defensive whereas the coach we understand we need to ask the question in a way that doesn't put somebody on the defensive kind of to what you talked about before about the you know the world environment and the, the global environment finding more common ground and those things is understanding and not jumping to that judgment that i talked about in the example before of a bad coaching experience and understanding hey, what's that what is that person doing assume the positive intent that they have behind what they're doing and be able to talk to them about that so to me that's curiosity is asking maybe one more question than you thought you needed to to get more in depth about what somebody truly means behind the words or we talked about excuses before and excuses was the big tie-in to the business development if somebody's you know they're objecting based on price is it really price or is it the fact that you haven't shown them the value of, of what you're doing so that's a huge piece of, of that is find out what's the excuse and what what's the real reason behind it then on empathy that's just a matter of i have my perspective i mean i grew up as a white male that's the only perspective i have in the world i lived in the situation i was in two parents at home the whole time I don't have any of the other situations that other people have. So I've got to be understanding as a coach that not everybody's experience that gets them to where they make decisions is the same as mine. So that's where the values come in of understanding what their values are, what drives them, and then being able to understand their perspective. I remember there was one time that I was um, working somewhere, and it was very dark when we were leaving at night. We were leaving so late at night, and there was a parking lot. it was dark so i made the comment that we needed to have a light in the parking lot and i got ridiculed for being a big scary guy that was going to be scared because there was going to be dark in the parking lot on the way to the car and i was like that's not for me i was like that's for the the women that leave the people that aren't as intimidating maybe as i am to somebody else and and we're facing that more and more so it's a matter of what is that perspective that they have and what is the perspective that they bring to the decisions they're making and how do they reach even their decision-making process, how do they go about that? It's going to be very different than mine. So as a coach, it's not putting my perspective, my methodologies, my philosophies on them. It's understanding theirs so that I can use my intuition to help guide the conversation in a way that gets them to where they need to be.
1: Hmm. So many great things that you said there. I love tapping into the intuition and Just being mindful of the positive intent. That always keeps me on track as a coach. What is this person's positive intent? Now, I know listeners, if you're thinking that you've come across someone that they don't have a positive intent, they can't possibly, they're treating me badly (laughs) somewhere underneath even anger and Uh, hurtful comments will be a need that isn't being met. So when you're saying, okay, well, they're just not meeting that need because they care so much about their child, for example, in, in a sporting context, there will be a positive intent even behind poor behavior. I'm not excusing poor behavior, but it is a great, it's a great reminder for us to have empathy. Where are they coming from? So that we can get curious and do that authentically I'm reversing the ace actually, (laughs) then I think uh, it'll put you in good stead. All right. What about uh, our final question is where we ask you to ask us a question. So what sparks Chris's curiosity?
2: If I'm talking to another coach, the question that I always want to ask is what is it that you've learned the most about yourself from coaching? Because one thing hopefully you'll learn about me is that I tend to take lot in. I, I tend to think of myself as very observant, um, probably more reserved as far as watching, observing the introverted part of, of me that, that takes in a lot of data before making a decision and being analytical. So part of that is me understanding what motivates other coaches and what finds them better so that I can compile that information and go, okay, what could I learn from, from what they taught themselves or they learned in this process as well.
1: I'm going to go ahead and share my insights on that question. I think the biggest thing I learned about myself was how much I filled this empty space with my own map of the world in the past. Okay. Coaching taught me to pause to stop talking, to listen, to like you said, be observant. But I learned that, you know, I'm I'm an extrovert, right? You just said you're an introvert. So I'm I grew up, you know, I'm three of four kids. So to be heard at the dinner table, you you gotta be, you gotta be, you gotta be out there. You gotta be saying, hey, I wanna talk about my day, my day, my day. <laughs> so when I got off the tennis court, and actually studied as, as you have as well through, through the ICF, you know, the core competencies and living and breathing those core competencies. That's what I learned about myself. That less is less is sometimes more. What about you?
2: For me, I think one of the biggest things is not taking criticism personally (laughs) that you've got that ability to, to hear things. And again, What's the other person's point of view? What's their perspective? Is it an opinion that I, that I value? Wow. Not getting defensive. It's that entering that, entering not entering that judging mindset um, and being more uh, of, of a leader and a listener and trying to understand. I, I probably am empathetic to a point to my family's detriment, because if the kids come home from school and complain about something, I usually ask them, well, what did the other person think? And they're like, well, you're my dad. You're supposed to take my side. And I want to know what that teammate issue was at practice or why the coach was coaching them on a certain thing. It's almost that I that came to the defense of the other person before my own kid in um, some cases. So I have to be careful of that. So uh, I've tried to be Tried to be that as well, that again, and then the other biggest piece is not jumping to give advice. It's more a matter of listening and trying to understand the whole situation before I actually give advice or coach somebody. And that's a big difference between mentorship, coaching, and and even managing what is needed, what is that level of directness in, in what you're trying to accomplish with something. So coaching is much more indirect than somebody who needs something done tomorrow from a a management standpoint, or a mentor that is showing somebody how they did it so the person can follow in their footsteps, whereas a coach is trying to help that person find their own path.
1: You know, I was mentoring someone this morning on this exact topic. He said to me, Emma, how do I not take things, you know, criticism personally? Literally, that's what we worked on this morning. And one of the things that we started with was... How do we raise our conscious awareness to not jump straight away and be defensive and blame and justify certain behaviors? And then we worked through a bunch of what we call disarming questions. So we were brainstorming what questions, curious questions to stay curious. Could he ask to help identify their pain and where they were really coming from and, that was this morning's coaching session so i think it's i think everybody struggles with that and having a step by step process which he created of course through the coaching process which in the end was um listen validate and share was what he came up with to help him in the moment not jump in the not jump in the space and get defensive so thank you for sharing that i think it's so so interesting and where i want to go next with your background is and and you sort of touched on it just now is what about somebody who who, you know it's a performance management i mean do 360s even like are they do they even still happen because i mean once a year sounds pretty stupid to have a a performance management session so what my question is in a roundabout way, is I'm asking you, if you've got somebody who's underperforming and you have a meeting with them, let's pretend it's more frequently than a 360, if if you agree with that, uh, number one, how do you go about having that conversation? What hat are you wearing to bring out, to improve this person's performance?
2: Again, I think authenticity plays in here because they have to know that you're having this conversation with their best interest in mind. You're not having the conversation to turn it into an attack or whatever the case is. So I think there, in a model that I've used and seen other places is, you know, you explain the situation, what their behavior was, and how it impacted. Did you. So if you use that SBI model of, hey, here's the situation. You're very specific. You're not bringing up a laundry list of items that they have a problem with. You're talking about one specific thing. So you've, you're a specific situation and the behavior that they had. Hey, I walked into that room and you ignored me or I walked into that room and, and you didn't introduce me to the client. Whatever the case is, what, what was their behavior? And then how did it impact? You are the person that you're talking to them on behalf of because there's sometimes where there's not going to be a direct relationship from a, from a hierarchy standpoint, or who's having that conversation. Um, to your point about it's got to happen more frequently so that it's fresh in their mind. And that's why you've got to be specific about what you're talking about. I think those three sixties and the once a year annual review and a corporate level has had to adapt as people in today's work environment. And you're talking multi-generations that are more used to immediate gratification, more used to immediate feedback. So you can't wait for a year or six months to have that conversation. It's gotta be um, when something happens or it should be more frequently than that, whether it be benchmarks, um, certain scheduled times. And the conversations can be much more informal than they were previously under a 360 or a um, once a year review type situation where it's, hey, here's the situation, here's what I've done. Here's how it made me feel and then go from there and have that. So I think that can be a way the person doesn't feel attacked, how it impacted you and then talk through it, ask their opinions. They might have a very different situation or like, I didn't realize I did that or I did that because and have a justification. But if you can talk through it, I I think that's much more impactful than 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 360 review, because even with those you worry about. There's retaliation factor. How Who are you getting feedback from? Are you asking for feedback from somebody who really has something to do? What do they remember from nine months ago when something happened and you're asking them for feedback on a person and how specific can they be? So um, that's how I would handle that conversation is much more frequently, less formal, but follow that model of, okay, hey, here, here's a specific situation.
1: Mm. Situation, impact, talk. Was that it? The, did I get the summary right? Sit?
2: Situation, behavior, impact. Oh, situation. the situation that it was in, behavior that that was happened, and then the impact that it had. Um,
1: Got it. Got it. Would, would, like it a lot. Order. Like it a lot. Beautiful. All right. So, what's your opinion on the impact of the hybrid environment? What are the biggest challenges of the next generation, and how can we improve things as a coach? And sorry, that's a three stacked question.
2: <laughs> From that stuff standpoint, I think what you run into is an old school that was used to a certain way of things being done, which was face-to-face. But you're also dealing with a generation that's coming into the workforce now that because of the pandemic and and others, they are in an environment where maybe they spent a year or two of college virtually. They were used to that environment, and they're used to getting their work done and doing those things. Um, however, I think where the biggest issue lies and the thing that they have into is training and the personalized relationships that happen when you're physically in an office, the ability to sit down hands on with somebody and walk through um, something technical, something that they need to do for their job. And I've heard that complaint from managers that, hey, they're missing this skill of a certain social skill in a live situation. But I've also heard from the younger generation or the people that are used to this work environment that, well, why do I need to be? It's a waste of my time for the travel to the office and those things. So I think it's going to continue to be a hybrid environment. And that's what I've trained and facilitated and, and coached towards that you're going to be dealing with a, a multi-dimensional workforce when you're in a leadership role. There are going to be people that are home. There are going to be people that are there. But I think bringing people back to the office needs to have... An intent of this is what we want to accomplish while everybody's in the office. What are the team things that we're doing? It's not a matter of, you mentioned the fact that people are like, I'm not sure they're getting their work done. Well then, is your hiring process right? Have you screened for the character that you're looking for that somebody can get done? Because sure enough, if somebody senior in the organization wants to work from their beach house or does something from the golf course one afternoon, It doesn't get frowned upon but then they're concerned that somebody less senior than them can get work done hunker down in their office at at home to be able to do that and i'm probably a bit biased because i was probably working from home by the time quarantine hit 80 percent of the time anyway because the people i were coaching were all over the country versus in a particular office i would go to the office for events or 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 those types of thing but more frequently unless there was a group meeting or a team meeting I, i was working from home already so I think it is going to continue to be a hybrid environment. Um, I see the merits of both, but I think it's being intentional about what can get done um, at each place and making sure that the work's done. And then the other thing that happens, people are used to being able to do work whenever they can. Something that works for me may not work for you. If I want to go to my son's football game one afternoon, then I need to have that flexibility to go to that football game in the afternoon, but I also know that when I come back home from, you know, 10 o'clock at night to midnight after they've gone to bed and get the same work done that I would have done between three and five, whatever the case is, um, I think that's going to be the, the adoption and where things are going to have to merge is that people are going to have to be accepting of that and need to be accepting of that because I think the work culture is very different. People do leave jobs much sooner than you mentioned your dad and the baby boomer. Don't leave somewhere until you have another job lined up. I don't think that's that's true these days. It's it's a gig economy. I can go do this.
1: What you highlighted in that conversation is the reality of of where we're at, and also the need again for coaches to be able to understand the multifaceted workplace and what people need. You can't really get that information unless you you wear wear a coaching hat and ask curious questions about what motivates somebody and when do they get their best work done, and you know how do they How do they implement their boundaries and what's important to them, which comes back to values? You know, I know you're a big, you're a big family man. So being able to have those values align with, with your workplace, I think it's got to be the way of the future. What are your thoughts on that?
2: I think it needs to be for successful, for successful companies to be able to do that and successful teams, people that lead teams have to understand strengths and weaknesses of their teams and what they do there to, to leverage that and what they're using people for, because I think that's just the way of the future.
1: Yeah, couldn't agree more. So on that note, uh, let's finish with a final question. What is one tip out there for someone who wants to become a coach, but they're a technical expert like you've got this accounting technical expert side of you, where you're used to giving people advice. All of a sudden, someone wants to become a coach. And it's all about unlocking the learning within the person. So what advice have you got for that person considering going down a a coaching route? How do they navigate the balance between being a technical expert and learning how to be more curious and ask more questions?
2: For there, it would be to me asking, asking more questions, even from a technical standpoint, understanding your client better by asking them the questions behind the business decisions that they're making. I think those business acumen skills of communication, um, even business development to that standpoint, is the same as coaching in, in a way of asking questions. You're just trying to uncover what the client is trying to accomplish versus the person that you're coaching um, and, and how you go about that. So I think somebody who, who's very technical needs to Um, Be conscious of those communication skills and the questions they're asking. Um, It's a matter of of being able to find that balance between what keeps you happy. And again, it comes back to them. If the technical keeps them very happy, their approach may may be very different. Again, it may be more of that that mentor or even a a leader role than it is a coaching role. But I think the coaching is so important for one, retention of your employees, to understand where they're coming from and those things. And and you can talk about it from a technical standpoint that, I mean, from a standpoint of if you can improve retention, isn't it worthwhile to learn this skill so that you can keep the people you have instead of having to hire new people or having to retrain somebody every time to be able to do that. So you can appeal to their technical sense as well about, there's a business reason behind being able to coach somebody and keep that person happy. Um, and be able to align what they're doing with what you're trying to accomplish as a firm versus, hey, I need this number of billable hours or I need this number uh, accomplished. Hey, let's talk about how we can do this. And understand that people have different ways of getting there. Um, again, what do they value? What is it they're doing? When do they do their best work? Those questions that you already asked.
1: So in other words, are there, is there strength in soft skills?
2: No, without a doubt. I mean, you go back to the, what was it? A study in the early 1900s from Carnegie Mellon and Harvard and Stanford that refers to the fact that 85% of success comes from the soft skills versus the technical skills. I mean, think of an environment like accounting um, and many other things. How fast is technology changing that's driving the technical side of, of what needs to be done, whether it be with a tax return or an audit process? Or just new data that's out there. Those things have to be retaught and researched and learned every year. But it's the if somebody comes into a, a job with the soft skills, and I refer to them more as business and acumen because again, soft implies that, implies that they're not as important that that's somebody you can teach the technical to because the technical is going to constantly be changing. It's the matter of if you've got those personnel personal skills that allow you to adapt. And change emotional intelligence the you talked about being able to adapt and know what's going to trigger you and those things so when you talk about the last you know eight percent of a conversation and how you're going to get there without losing knowing what your triggers are so that you don't have that happen it is so important for somebody's sustained success i think
1: mm. well i have to say i think you've aced this interview <laughs> with uh with values aligning to where you want to go uh everybody out there let's hold back our judgment kick our excuses to the curb let's not give up too early with new perspective and always be authentic curious and empathetic thank you so much chris for being on the coaching podcast
2: i appreciate you having me
1: sounds good all right bye for now everybody thanks for listening
0: the coaching podcast is sponsored by transition coach for athletes a global coaching mentoring and u.s college sporting scholarship placement service the service helps athletes navigate the often challenging world of choosing your best college fit while maximizing sports performance visit www.transitioncoachforathletes.com If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a rating review on your podcast listening device. And don't forget to tell a fellow coach about the show. The ball is in your court to take action and enjoy your coaching.